0: and welcome back in another edition of the stripe show podcast i'm your host travis fulton and uh, look at that he took my wake-up call i knew he was uh, <laughs> over in bradenton florida covering the concession golf club world golf championship the workday championship of course last year was in mexico this year at the big bad concession golf club this guy was there covering it for golf J- channel almost nine years now in the running Brian Lavner, thanks for getting up this morning, buddy, and uh, and jumping on the podcast.
1: Uh, thank you, Travis. I have a, a two year old at home, so I didn't necessarily have to set my alarm <laughs> uh, to to hop on this <laughs> podcast. But it's always always great to be with you.
0: Well, I jeez, I, I enjoyed watching the the tournament there. You know, there was so much hype of the golf course coming into this. You know, concession golf club and you know Azinger as a member and Coke and listening to these guys was like, geez, are these guys gonna are these guys gonna break seventy? You know, I mean, because there was a lot of hype on this course and it it was tough. Like, there's no question. You could see the demand of the greens, but for the most part, they handled it pretty well. Murakawa, 1800, 18 under a lot of guys at 15 under. How did the course play out? Do you feel based off the hype that it was given going into it?
1: Well, there was a lot of hype and I I covered the 2015 NCAA championship and that was the first year that we had it on TV for both the women and the men. The women played first and then for the men. And I remember during the women's portion in particular, it was just total carnage. I mean, you had players shooting in the mid to upper 80s, the low 90s. I mean, the greens were super fast. They were ping-ponging balls back and forth around the green. And it was only from the men that they realized, like, we've got to scale this back. Like, this is it's just too intense. And mm-hmm. I think Bryson won that year at eight under par. Um, so I I figured we'd see something probably between 10 and 15 just because the caliber of play is better. The conditions last week were really warm, really humid. And basically until Sunday, there was very little wind. Mm-hmm. Um and so the Greens were still receptive to a to a point. And I think it was it was interesting talking to some of the players. They can make that golf course, the PJ Tour setup staff can, they can make that golf course as difficult as they want. And they could have made the scores obscenely high. They could have made the the PJ Tour players look really foolish. And they were a little bit safe, I thought.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, the, the green speeds were were probably you know, 13 on the stint meter as opposed to members are used to 14 14 and a half this uh, week in the and a
0: half <laughs> the yeah, number,
1: exactly yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly exactly how, how arnie would have wanted it yep. and um i mean the greens i'm not have you ever been to concession no no okay so so on tv like they look pretty radical right mm-hmm. in, in person i can assure you they're even more radical than they appear on mm-hmm. tv like they are absolutely crazy um, in terms of the amount of slope and undulation and ridges like they're, they're they're crazy so there's really only so many places you can put the pins mm-hmm. and i thought the pj tour with the exception of probably the 13th hole on saturday were, were pretty generous in where they were keeping the, the pins. so i think that's why you saw colin at, at 18 a bunch of other players get it a double digits under par um i think the pj tour players were overall pretty receptive of the golf course i think they they wouldn't mind seeing an annual tour stop there um but i don't think they want necessarily the concession superintendent to be to be be assisting in setting up the golf course because 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 he actually wanted it more difficult
0: oh really okay yeah Yeah. they don't want the they don't want the full teeth
1: of uh, yeah they they don't they don't want to get concussed yeah Yeah, yeah, exactly yeah exactly
0: you know i want to ask you before we get to morikawa i know you've covered him for a long time. I mean, you're big into college golf. You saw it at Cal Berkeley and, and, and you know him well. But before we get to that, I, I'm curious, how was the mood when the information hit on Tuesday of Tiger, right? Getting into the car accident. We saw the reactions in the press with JT, very emotional and others. I'm just curious on the grounds. Um, how did things kind of go down there at concession from when the news hit on Tuesday, say into Wednesday and then into play on Thursday?
1: It was actually pretty surreal, to be honest with you. So I, I live in Orlando, um, which without I-4 traffic is about two and a half hours away from Bradenton. So <laughs> yeah. I so I, I made my way over there on Tuesday, got there around midday. And I was actually eating lunch, um, kind of just scrolling through Twitter. And that's when I first saw the news started trickle. Out. I think like a local uh, television reporter in Los Angeles was the first to kind of break the news that Tiger was in an accident. And immediately, you know, I stopped what I was doing and just headed out to the range. And you could you could literally see the information being processed in real time. Like it was just a, a slow trickle of, of guys who were talking to each other. They're looking on their phone. I, I ended up talking to a couple of players after they finished the practice round. Um, you know, we're kind of restricted from from actually going up to the players during the practice round. Um, so we you had to wait a couple hours. Um, but like they were saying, they were, they were talking about it and reading you know news updates on their phone. And it was just kind of surreal. And on Tuesday, it was really tricky because if you remember there wasn't a whole lot of information known at the time right mm-hmm. like it was it was kind of a slow trickle of information it was you know tigers seriously injured here's the images of his car and at which point you you saw those images on television and you're you're wondering you know if if he's going to be able to pull through this alive and then you started to get the the not life threatening he's in surgery and then so talking to players on tuesday they were kind of wary about saying a little bit too much Mm -hmm. um just because at that point they they didn't know um there's a couple players who came in you know tony finow uh john rom billy horschel they all spoke kind of about tiger's impact and Mm -hmm. and, you know at that point you just say you 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 wish him well um you know he's meant a lot to my career and, and things of that nature and then by wednesday morning you had the overnight update from tiger saying basically what had happened with his right leg getting mangled um, and that he was he was recovering after a pretty exhaustive surgery. Um, and, I, and on Wednesday, I think you started to see the mood um, improve just because yeah. Tiger's condition improved. Mm-hmm. And I thought Rory uh, spoke well about it. And, you know, I think Tiger's presence was, was really everywhere last week. And, and if you looked on the leaderboard on Sunday and you saw more than a dozen players wearing the red shirt, uh, you can see his impact. Um, On the on the PGA Tour and and Colin is very much a guy who's modeled his entire game after Tiger in terms of being a a really premier elite iron player and basing everything around that, which is really Tiger's hallmark um, of of his greatness. So I thought it was certainly a a surreal week to be covering the PGA Tour Mm -hmm. and and talking about a a guy who unfortunately is in a a hotel bed 3000 miles away, but his his impact was certainly profound uh, last week at concession.
0: You know, it was interesting on Sunday watching all the red shirts. And, you know, I you knew it was coming, and then you saw it. And, like, I literally was, like, getting goosebumps just, like, seeing Annika in a red shirt, seeing Phil Mickelson in a red shirt, uh, seeing Rory in a red shirt. I mean, it kind of – like, even now, I feel like my hair is kind of standing up. It just – I mean, the impact of that was just amazing, you know, in seeing these Hall of Fame players wearing a red shirt for the first time, for the first time. Like Phil says, I don't even, I've never owned a red shirt, you know, and he goes and gets one and wears it. And it was just, it was amazing. I mean, obviously the, the gesture was incredible. Uh, But then to see it and watch it play out, I thought just had an incredible impact. Tiger had to be really taken. He had to really be moved. I mean, he really had to be, to sit there and to see that kind of outpouring um, across all of the tours. And, uh, and I think you make a really good point with Colin. He, he modeled his game after Tiger with the emphasis being the iron game, Tiger was number one in his day. There's not a better iron player in the game than Colin Marokawa right now.
1: Absolutely. absolutely. And I mean, obviously there's some pretty stark differences in terms of, of, of Tiger and Colin. And even sure. when Tiger was, was a young pro, I mean, Tiger was, was way longer. Um, I think if Colin's not average length, he's, he's probably slightly uh, below average length on the PJ tour while Tiger was, was if not the longest, uh, certainly one of them. Tiger's been a, tremendous putter at least until the last couple years of his career well that's kind of been collins bugaboo even dating back to his junior golf days Um, but i i think pj tour players in particular know the importance of strong iron play Mm -hmm. and that's really a distinguisher between good players and great players and and collins certainly appears to be on the trajectory of a great player and he's got four Four wins now a major in a world golf championship under the age of 25 speaking of tigers the only player uh, <laughs> to accomplish that feat mm-hmm. um and he certainly appears to be on an, on an upward trajectory and he's relying on that i think uh, i think the the concern when you talk about Kyle or is always like oh i you know i hope he doesn't go chase distance you know that that's the one thing that can wreck him i mean he averages tw- 295 yards off the tee yeah um he's gonna have guys blow up by him but if he can still hit his five iron closer than you can hit your seven or eight iron, uh, I think he's perfectly uh, content with his with his lot in life on the PJ Tour. He's the number four ranked player in the world. Yeah, as he moved up from six to four, right, with that win yeah.
0: um, this week. And, you no, know, you covered him when he was at Cal Berkeley. And you've seen this maturity now from where he was uh, to where he is. I interviewed um, his coach, Rick Sessinghouse, a couple of years ago on this podcast, before Colin really was kind of starting to take off. You could see it coming right and he had the iron game which was the first thing that really stood out I was like okay if you can if you can hit your golf ball with your irons like that you can compete on the pga tour and at the time he wasn't really hadn't gone through some of those putting woes as we saw but you know now with this new grip i mean if he can gain four strokes putting for crying out loud i mean he is going to be tough to beat with the way that he hits the golf ball but give us some insight of the Colin Morikawa young age in college versus now? What kind of young man uh, are we looking at here?
1: I mean, he's he's exactly what you see today. He His personality has not changed at all. Like, he's one of the most level-headed, calm, cool, mature players um, that I've ever been around, especially for someone his age. I think okay. certainly when you compare him to some of his contemporaries, um, who are a little bit more uh, immature they have some of that emotional volatility they don't have mm-hmm. the on-course comportment that he has um, there's there's a reason why when he first broke out on tour like his his peers in the pj tour who have been out there for a decade think i'm not sure if this guy's 23 years or, or he's 43 like he's just he's just so calm on the golf course and that was very much the same in college i think when you you think back about his college career it was uh really marked by just incredible consistency like it's it's crazy to even think about. He finished in the top five in more than half of his college starts. That's amazing. And he and he's playing at Cal. Like he's not playing at McNeese yeah. State. Yeah, he's playing against the best competition every it's single amazing. week. The only difference is that he he didn't win a ton. You know he he won he I I forget the exact number. He won I'd say somewhere between three and six times in college. Mm-hmm. But he wasn't a guy who's ripping off five six wins and 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 being the dominant. Player of the year in college golf, but he was always around the lead. And the reason why he didn't win all that often was because of his putting. And you look at the weeks that he's now won on the PGA Tour, it's, it's, he's always going to be among the best in iron play. Oh, yeah. Like he's, he's, he's not going to be competitive if he, if he isn't. But the weeks that he's putted well or putted above his own expectation is the weeks that he's either going to contend or he's going to win. I, I wrote last night um, for GolfChannel.com, kind of about this latest transformation. Uh, obviously you saw what the, with the saw putting grip and what was kind mm-hmm. of the, the Genesis behind that. Um, he, he kind of saw Marco Mira do it. Um, and he talked with him for an hour in Las Vegas, the week before going to Riviera. And it wasn't so much that, that Colin was making putts, but for the first time in his life, he actually felt like he could take the stroke out of it. And that he could just focus on his line hmm. and his speed, and he didn't have to worry about technique or trying to be just just so perfect. And that was a foreign feeling to him because he's on the greens. At least he's he's such a technical player. Um, you can kind of just see like the the wheels turning. It's kind of uncomfortable to watch him putt. And for the first time, he he felt totally comfortable. So he didn't make any didn't make any putts while practicing with the saw in Vegas he was dead last in the field and putting at Riviera and he talked to his caddy and his cat, and he was like, are you, are you worried about this? And his caddy JJ was like, not at all. Like your stroke to me has never looked better. Like mm. there's good flow to it. There's good That's rhythm cool. to it. Like for the first time in two or three years on the PGA tour, like I think you're going to stand up and make putts. And sure enough, like he wasn't, he wasn't great at concession. I think he finished 10th in strokes game buddy, which for him is obviously terrific, but relative to the, to the field, it's not like he was blowing the doors off it. Mm-hmm. Um, but like he gave him a lot of confidence. He made those critical five to seven footers early in the final round to kind of steady himself. It was the first yep. time he'd had an outright lead on the PGA tour. Um, and then on the back night, he just played mistake free golf to, to beat a, a host of really good challengers, but it kind of reminded me of the PGA, the PGA he was first in approach, first in putting, one against the best major field in all golf this past week. First in approach, tenth in putting. Like, if if this is actually his solution, <laughs> if this is something that he feels committed to, and can just be not even above average putter, just be an average putter, right? Like, don't lose strokes to the field. Like, we're looking at a guy who's going to win a 10, bunch. Twenty. 10, 20 times in the PJ Tour. Oh, yeah.
0: Oh, yeah. And he'll live on the first page of the leaderboard. Oh, and just, absolutely. I mean, he'll just live. And he doesn't, you know, he doesn't really beat himself. You know, like, he doesn't have that. He's going to make a double or a triple, you know, kind of look to him. Like, you're going to have to go up and get him. You know, you're, he's just too steady. A little power fade off the tee. What's interesting with the swing, and Rick was talking to me about this, a couple of things really stood out. One is he never saw a launch monitor until he was until he turned pro um Hmm. never hit on a launch or until he went to uh until he went to college excuse me until he went to college and then he was he he dabbled a little bit not much um and he hit a draw pretty much for the most part through college and then he kind of went to the fade as he turned pro um, and particularly off the tee because he pretty much hits a fade on 95% of shots. It's just that little,
1: yeah, you know, absolutely. bleeder
0: to the right, which he just wears you out off the tee with. I mean, gosh, he's just, I mean, it's just unbelievable. This three, four yard power fade off the tee every single time. And then, you know, with the iron in his hand, you're in trouble. I mean, he is just absolute laser. Check out these stats. Let me throw this at you, Ryan. Last three, last three events on tour. Okay. Last week, w, or the WGC. 9.6 strokes scan approach uh, the week before that Genesis 7.5 positive week before that, or the tournament before that Sony 8.5 positive. I mean, he just, he just crushed stupid strokes gain approach. Now to your point, Genesis, he was negative 7.6 last in the field. positive four this week. Um, he hadn't had that kind of putting week until back in the PGA. He was positive eight. I mean, he lives in the positive two, three, four world, the tour these guys are in trouble with the way that he does it. And let me ask you this, cause you've hung around him. At least my perception, I've never met Colin. I know his coach Rick Sessinghouse and we've talked about Colin, but he doesn't, he's not really cut from that maybe over pursuit of you know technicalities, um, getting into the technology. I need to see what the 3D numbers are saying and force plate and give me my track man. I'm like, he's not really, too much into that i I think they use it when they need to like rick kind of made it sound like yeah we'll get on the we'll get some numbers once in a while i'll show him a swing once in a while but he's really not cut from that which i gotta be honest it's it's kind of refreshing really from a a teacher standpoint
1: yeah like he's an absolute flusher like (laughs) i'm not sure i'm not sure that he needs that he needs to see it on camera i think his his contact and his shot shape tells him exactly what he's doing and he's done it for so long now that it's just kind of ingrained and he can kind of pick it up himself and And you make such a good a good point too, Travis with this with the sense that he's not going to beat himself mm-hmm. and I think that's kind of what sets him apart from some of his peers I think it's an easy comparison with the rest of the class of 2019 um, we saw Victor Hovland make like the quad to close out his yeah. second round and and it seems to me like Hovland's got a, a little bit of Tony Finau Tendency in him that he's he kind of prone to these blow-ups I remember Mm -hmm. when he went in Puerto Rico, he made a triple on the back nine, and he kind of had to to scrap his claws way back, and eventually won that tournament. It almost looked like he was going to do the exact same thing at Concession. Um, And I'm not saying that that Hovland, you know, doesn't have the the mental strength. I think it actually requires a bit of fortitude to be able to come back from that. But he's a little bit more susceptible to the big numbers than Colin is, and. Walking with Morikawa over the over the weekend in particular, what I was really struck is that he, he doesn't make mental mistakes in terms of, like, he's always playing the smart shot. Mm. He's always playing to the fats of the greens. He's always, you know, kind of moving away from trouble. He's never taking it on. Mm-hmm. And that's, it's just such a mature way to play golf. Um, and that's, I think... What can be his big separator? And it's a he he plays like a guy who really has been on the tour for 10 to 15 years, who is not seeing these courses for the first time. Like mm. you you would think he has dozen years of experience at these places, but he's just so intuitive, he's so intelligent, his golf IQ is so high um, that he's really able to tack courses with surgical precision when a lot of these guys are are kind of just you know, wailing away on it, and and let's go find it.
0: Yeah, that shot he hit on four—that was one of his best shots of the day on Sunday. The par three, he was like, jesus two hundred what fifty yards or something," and he just hits that cut fairway wood right in the middle of the green. I was like, "Whoa, <laughs> like that's." Yeah, I thought that was his best shot of the day. I mean, he just made that look so simple. Just oh yeah, I'm just gonna fade it right to the middle of the green, get my par. And can get can you
1: there. can you imagine what Colin Morikawa is gonna do in? like a Ryder cup or a president's cup, mm-hmm. he would absolutely be the most frustrating player to play against. Oh yeah. Because he's going to hit almost every single fairway. He's going to hit almost every single green. And if he's just putting average or maybe a little bit above average, like how are you going to beat him? He'd be yeah. so frustrating because he just applies so much pressure on you and makes you feel like you have to be perfect in order to beat him.
0: You brought up Victor Hoblin. Let's talk about him for a minute. I've got, him pulled up here you know this we're looking at right now the last five starts he's got to win two seconds and a fifth his last five starts um cease. i mean second tied for second last week fifth at the genesis second at the farmers i mean i could make the case that victor is as good as colin morikawa from a from a skill standpoint i mean his we know his brawl striking is phenomenal I mean, I'll give Colin the slightest edge. I mean, slightest edge in the approach game, right? I would say Victor might be the better driver, but this—that's like comparing. I would, I would, <laughs> I
1: would, I, I would agree with that. I, yeah, I mean, Victor's but they're better.
0: both so damn good, yeah. right? And, and yeah, driving in like we're this is kind of silly actually because they're so good ball striking. Um, I would say that you know, around the green, Colin is better. Putting historically, Victor has been better, right? So it's like, yeah. You could make the argument. Victor's right there with them. Now, I think Victor, like you said, is kind of prone to make a couple more silly mistakes in the bigger number. Um, but he does have two wins. Now Colin has four with two huge wins, the PGA. But I mean, if you're Victor Hovlin, man, you got to be like, I'm fine, man. If I can just keep my short game moving in the right direction, I am fine and I'm going to build off two wins, right?
1: Uh, I I totally agree with you, Trout. And I I actually talked to to Victor on Saturday because last week marked the one-year anniversary of when he won in Puerto Rico, and he said mm-hmm. afterward, "I just suck at chipping," <laughs> and so I kind of wanted to to reflect on that because he he really has turned what was an enormous weakness. Mm-hmm. I mean, literally, if if Collins, one of the worst putters on the PJ Tour entering last week, entering Puerto Rico, Victor Hovland last year was one of the worst chippers and pitchers, of the golf ball on the PGA tour. Like he's in the two hundreds Right, there's only like 230 eligible players. Right. And so he, I believe the stats may have changed. He's, he's a top 75 scrambler, pitcher, chipper of the golf ball right now on the PGA tour. And I said, you know, what happened? You know, what, what changed? And he really credited a lot of the work he's done with his swing coach, Jeff Smith in terms of learning how to take the leading edge out and and yep. using the bounce, and it's it's a situation where he he could get he could get away with it on most PJ Tour venues, right? Especially ones that that have a little bit um, thicker rough, and he, he could just kind of play his pitch shots that way. You couldn't do that at Concession. No, I mean this was the ultimate litmus test for that revamped short game. The lies were so tight Mm. and so grainy and the greens were so elevated with so many false fronts and slopes. Like it's, it's an amateur golfer's worst nightmare to play there. And I think a year ago, Victor Hovland would have really, really struggled. You would have seen him probably taking putter out. You would have seen him taking fairway wood out. And I thought he looked really good. He pitched in a handful of times. I know he had the trouble with the quad, but that really wasn't, um, a product of his short game. It was kind of an a, unfortunate bladed bunker shot at the wrong time. Um, and I thought that was a really good litmus test of where he is now, that he doesn't have that glaring weakness anymore. I'm, I'm totally with you. I mean, this is a... I'm not saying he's, he's going to win a major championship this year. It wouldn't surprise me because he has all the tools. And I think I think right now he's a more complete player to your point, than Kyle Morikawa is. I'm not sure that his his good is as good as Collins is, mm-hmm. but I think the all around nature of the skills that he has makes it so. To your point, that he's going to be top six in six of his last seven starts. Like I don't yeah. think that's this isn't just a little hot streak. No, like, this is who this is who Victor Hoblin is.
0: Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. And and his his short game's trending. And Jeff Smith, his teacher. Uh, we talked about it actually on a few months ago on this podcast and you know, it's, it's, it seems interesting, right. To think, well, wait a minute, you're saying that a tour player is learning how to use the bounce around the green. Yeah. That's what he's learning how to do because he's been always hitting everything such the leading edge. And of course, when you don't ever miss greens, you don't need a short game like he does. So it's, but I think as he's gotten on tour, he's realized that I've got to develop this shot where I got to rotate the face more and let the bounce kind of slide under it a little bit and get comfortable with that. And that's a, that's a big learning curve, no matter when you learn it. And and for him, with Jeff, he's learning it now, and it, and it's trending. You know, it's moving in the right direction. Um, And if he could just be better than average, really, with his short game, as good as he hits it, and he's a nice putter, um, jeez, he's gonna he's gonna roll him off, um, with victories. You know, of course, the third guy when you mention Morikawa and you mention Hovland, you got to mention Wolf, right? Because they come in together, and unfortunately. um, and maybe you can fill us in, but, you know, Matthew had the big round was 83 on Thursday and then withdrew again this is the second time now, you know, in a short period of time that he's withdrawn after a big opening number. He has not played good um, at all, really, since October. Um, he had a nice run there at the end of the summer last year, as we know, he was second at the U.S. Open, um, but he just hadn't played good at all here for months. What What's going on with Wolf? What have you heard?
1: I think it's a, I think it's a number of factors. Um, you know, I don't think it's as easy as to say as, you know, he's still dealing with lingering wrist issue. I don't think it's a matter of his swing isn't where he wants it. I don't think it's necessarily a matter solely of that. He's dealing, I think with like a lot of us are with some of these isolationist tendencies of, of playing golf during a pandemic. I think it's, it's all those that are, that are cresting at the same time that you have a player right now. Who's, who's just in a really bad headspace. Mm -hmm. Um, I I think probably the I think it's safe to say the predominant factor when talking to a couple people around him is that it's I think you have to remember that he's he should be a college senior right now. Mm -hmm. He's he's a 21-year-old. And when you put that player on a PGA tour, he's going to struggle when you have the situation that you do have right now with with COVID-19. I mean, it's we're almost we're almost a year since the shutdown. And the the restrictions on players really haven't been loosened up Mm. all that much. I mean, players for the most part are going to the golf course, going back to get takeout or something and going back to either their hotel room or their their rental house. And so for a 21-year-old who should be in college hanging with his buddies, who is very much an extrovert and really draws his energy from being around other people, this is a very lonely time to be on the PGA Tour. And so I think he's I think he's homesick. I don't think it's any coincidence that not only does he have the place in Jupiter, but he also bought a home in Oklahoma, mm. about a half hour from Stillwater. We went to school at Oklahoma State, so he can just be a college kid again, and and just kind of remember what those those easy times are like. Um, and I think I think he can he can eventually get himself through this. But what he needed right now, he's not playing this week at Bay Hill is is just a a mental reset he needs to remember and talking to his mom last year he just kind of needs to remember that he's he's fortunate to be out there he's doing what he loves to do Mm -hmm. the bad times don't last forever um but he's still young oh yeah he's he's still learning and this is just a really difficult time to be a 21 year old extrovert on the pga tour there's there's just no way around it
0: i'll be honest like last year i mean i know matthew wolf is a is a phenomenal player. You're not on the PGA tour without being a phenomenal player. So all these statements are relatively speaking. Right. But I'll be honest last year, I was really kind of impressed, like how consistent he played. You know, I, I didn't expect that level of consistency last year at such an early age from his kind of play. Um, And I thought he really showed a ton of maturity and he obviously played really good golf, you know, looking, he was second at the rocket mortgage. He was, fourth at the PGA, second at the US Open, second at Shriners. I mean, he had some really good events. Um, so I was a little just, I don't know, not shocked last summer, but just surprised. Like, wow, he really has impressed me with his level of consistency. There was a lot of top 25s mixed in there as well. Very consistent golf. So, But I'm also not surprised now, 21-year-old, struggling a little bit with this lifestyle. He'll work through it. I mean, I think he's... um He's got it seems like he's got a good group around him and he'll he'll work through it like you said kind of recharge the batteries we all need that i mean i'm 43 and i need to take a step back and reset my mind you know once in a while and and you know kind of get back to what works and get yourself comfortable again so um i i i, I think it's uh i hate to see him withdraw you know i hate to see that you know so that's easily. that's
1: that's the problem um because he's he's going to lose the benefit of the doubt for most yeah. golf fans. This is the second time he's done it now in, in two months. Um it doesn't matter what your excuse is. It doesn't matter that there weren't necessarily alternates who who would have gladly taken his spot in the tournament had he not withdrawn. It's it's it it just doesn't sit well with other people when you mm-hmm. it seems like you're quitting. I I I just the reason I the reason I wrote that story on on Thursday night for golf channel is because there's just so many other underlying factors to it. And it 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 requires context. It requires context in the sense that he doesn't have a wife and kids who he can just go home and kind of reset like a like a Patrick Reed could where if his family's on the road. You know, that can take your mind away from it. It's 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 different when he doesn't have his swing coach like Claude Harmon, who's with DJ every single week on the PJ tour. You know, George Gankis isn't traveling uh to 15 to 20 weeks on the PJ tour with 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 Matthew Wolf. He's always going to be the most I'd say volatile of that group of players. Like mm-hmm. he's, he's going to miss cuts. He's, he's going to have these mood swings and these, and these stretches where he just doesn't play, go- just doesn't play well. Um, I think it's just, it's part of his maturation process. I think it's part of his growing pains. He's, he's going to get through it. Um, yeah. But, but this is a, this is a particularly challenging challenging moment for him in his young career
0: yeah i agree you know he he missed the cut at the workday charity open morikawa won that he withdraws at wgc morikawa wins that so that's you know you, you uh you look at all this and i i love this I, I just love these younger guys man i really do you know and i that's why you know i cheer for matthew wolf but i love morikawa and Hovland and Scheffler and Son JM, like I just like I like watching that youth, you know, kind of continue to flourish and come on, and then mix in with that that generation before him, like JT and um you know and Rory and G- that yeah, G-
1: JT is old now at twenty seven, right? I know,
0: right? Like he is. I mean, he's like, dude, you're like and and speeth, like they feel like they've been out there for thirty years
1: already, and right, yeah, they've got, got a lot of the competitive mileage on them. Yeah,
0: they're not the young guys, and pretty soon, you know what? It's going to be then Will's Alatorre. He's coming in, you know at at the fresh age of what are you 21? I think he just,
1: he's probably, he, yeah, 23, 24. He left school as a senior. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So it's good stuff, man. I, uh, you know, golf's just getting cranking here. I can sense it, you know, on, on, on my sites and Instagram, people are getting excited. Uh, we got a nice run coming up. Arnold Palmer invitational right there in your backyard. Then they come up, you know, up to my way here in Ponte Vedra for the players. And then, I mean, we got the, she's, we got the masters like what? Five weeks. You know, somewhere in there. Yeah, I think six, like you have
1: two, you have two WGCs, two invitationals, the players' championship of the Masters, all within an eight week span.
0: Yeah. There you go. So it's
1: a, it's a, it's, it's a, in the, like just going back to Wolf, like it's just a bad time to sit out. Like there's, <laughs> no, to, I think there's, there's no real great time to take a break in the PGA Tour the way the wraparound schedule works. But this is a particularly bad time to be going through a funk because there's just, there's just no room to just get away.
0: Yeah. He's got to improve on his masters there. he didn't play good. You know, this has been going on now for a few months. We're, we're looking at, you know, probably the better part of four months here yeah. for him, you know, in yeah. this slump. So anyway, Ryan, thank you so much, buddy. I appreciate it. I know you got a little one and you've been working hard. you going to come out to Ponte Vedra at all.
1: I am. Yeah. I'll be okay. there. Uh, I'll be there for the entire week. I'll be there first thing Monday morning and, And sticking through the conclusion, it should be great. Like we're going to have 10 to 12,000 fans out on property. It's going to feel, it's going to feel like a big golf tournament again, which is going to be really exciting.
0: I think you're going to sense the most amount of energy here, you know, at a golf tournament that has been, um, in a while. And this is where it all started. I remember standing there out there, um, you know, in the tournament and getting the texts and, my wife works for the tour and she's like this doesn't look good. This is I think things are going to be coming to a halt and and sure enough they did and here we are a year later we're back golf is going we'll have 10, 12,000 people out there in Ponte Vedra but in the meantime get some rest and I'll uh, I'll see you in a week up here.
1: All right, thanks Travis. I appreciate it, man.
0: All right, Ryan Labner, Golf Channel Stripe Show Podcast. We'll see you on Wednesday with another guy from Orlando, Sean Foley, who's got some guys uh, in the field this week, but also working with Lydia Coe, so we'll uh, we'll talk about the improvement of Lydia Coe. See you on Wednesday. Let's take a second to talk about the guys and girls over at Encore Golf. Encore has earned a reputation of having the most cutting-edge technology in their golf balls that the industry has seen in quite some time. Their team in Buffalo, New York, is changing the script of golf technology through the perimeter-weighted designs use of high-density particles, and even a nano-transitional layer in their latest creation, which offers players enhanced accuracy and control for every shot on the course and extreme velocity off the tee. They already have their award-winning Elixir and Avant 55 golf balls, but the new Vero X1 is the highest-performance ball to date with their full suit of golf balls. They are transforming the game. For players of all skill levels, visit EncoreGolf.com slash Travis Fulton for more details about their products that are revolutionizing the game. Now back to the Stripe Show podcast.